We praise God for his faithfulness, don't we? To us and to individually as Christ followers and also to our church. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. As your pastor, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in the past and in the present. It's the only reason we can talk about the things we're going to talk about today with regard to our future. And if you're a visitor here today, just like Pastor Randy was saying, we're so glad that you're here. And in some ways, this is a perfect day for you to be here because it only happens about one year out of one one time out of seven years, uh, once every seven years. And sometimes you can go to a church for weeks or even months and not kind of figure out what its heartbeat is, what its DNA is. And you're going to find that out over the next forty minutes or so. What the heartbeat, the DNA is of Pomona First Baptist Church. Will you please turn with me to page four in your program, Acts thirteen verse thirty six. David served God's purpose. In his generation. I can't think of a better thing on my tombstone than put your name in there or my name in there, Glenn or Bill or Sally, whatever your name is, Jose or Julia, served God's purpose in their generation for such a time as this that the choir was just singing. Uh, Who knows that you've come to this position, uh, as Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this. But sometimes we think, oh my goodness, you know, like uh, David was singing, uh, David Hernandez was singing, you know, it's grass is greener someplace else. Have you ever had the thought, boy, I wish I was alive during the days of the early church in the book of Acts, how exciting that would be? These are the good old days. Did you know that? This is the day of explosive growth within the church more than any other time in history. David Rutz has written a book called Mega Shift, in which he looks at the demographics going on right now as the church of Jesus Christ is exploding in Africa, across Asia, South America, to the point where he predicts from the current data that we have, from the current research that we have right now, the demographic studies that are going on, and the current trends with the growth of Christianity, that in just two decades, 20 years from now, he believes half of the people on the planet will be not just nominal Christians, but on-fire followers of Jesus Christ. These are the good old days. In 2014, our budget we're going to present is about $5.5 million, and over a million of that goes towards missions. We get to be a part of that here in our own community, our own part of Southern California, and different places all around the world. This is the time to be alive. But here's the key. We're no stronger when we run our race than how we pass it off to the next generation. They've said that Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. Uh, Any individual church, like our church, is just one generation away from losing its vision and its calling, and its sense of purpose, and its first love uh, for Christ. And so we've got to constantly rekindle that and pass that on to the next generation, generation to generation, until Jesus returns. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. And so for 143 years, groups of Christ followers at Pomona First Baptist Church have been meeting like this again and again to rekindle our first love, to recapture our vision. And we're going to do that generation to generation, handing off the baton of the gospel, the baton of the vision for what God has called this church to be, generation to generation, until Jesus returns. Anybody want to say amen to that? But no matter how well we run our race, it's only as good as the pass-off of the relay baton. Um, American women, 100-meter women in America are considered the fastest in the world. 
So you would think the four by 100 meters in the Olympics would be an event that we would just own. But in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, uh, we did not get the gold because of a sloppy pass. 2004 in Athens, we didn't get the goal. We got uh, disqualified because of a late exchange, too late in the exchange zone. 2008 in Beijing, we didn't get the gold medal. We got disqualified because of a drop baton. And finally, in 2012, in the London Olympics, the exchanges were clean. They won the gold medal and broke a world record that had stood for 27 years. So we run the race, but we've got to pass it off as well. And we get one shot at this. I'm always amazed at how people live so casually with this life, kind of just squandering it on things that are here today and gone tomorrow rather than things that count for eternity. We get one shot at this thing. John Wesley wrote, He who governed the world before I was born shall take care of it likewise when I am dead. My part is to improve the present while I am still here. And that's why a saying we have here at PFB is to be used by God to do a miraculous thing in a challenging place is the greatest way to invest your life. A challenging place. Rodney Stark has written a book called The Rise of Christianity. He was a sociologist, not a follower of Jesus, but he wanted to do a study of what's considered the most amazing thing, the biggest miracle in all of human history by historians. And that is how a ragtag, marginalized group of followers of Jesus persecuted by the Roman government, how they eventually, through love and the name of Jesus, conquered the Roman Empire. It's considered the biggest miracle in all of human history by historians, the most hard-to-explain kind of thing. Now, we know it was the power of the Holy Spirit. But from a sociologist's viewpoint, he wanted to study it. And he eventually, through his study, became a follower of Jesus as well. He said there were two sociological factors. One was the great emphasis on the value of women by the early church. And the second thing that did it was how the early church responded during the numerous plagues that happened during the first three centuries, first, second, and third century. These were smallpox or measles, plagues. They wiped out between a fourth and a third of the world's population. And here's what happened when those plagues happened. The pagan, the leaders of the pagan temples, temples to Zeus and Apollos and Diana and all these other pagan temples, the leaders of the temple, if they had enough money, when the plagues hit, they would abandon the city to the foothills around Rome and the other cities of the Roman Empire. And they would set up camp there with their pagan temples and and, and with their worship of their gods like Zeus and Apollos and others. And, And if they had enough money, they'd relocate to the suburbs around Rome, and there they would set up their churches or their temples. But the followers of Christ stayed in the city. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? They stayed in the city of Rome and the other Roman Empire cities, even if they were at risk for catching the plague themselves, and they ministered to the people of the streets and that were were cast out by their families during this plague. And the Romans saw that, Okay, they saw that and it so impressed them that Jesus won their hearts through the actions of the followers of Christ. And so because they stayed to minister to the needs of the people, right in downtown Rome at Holt and Gary, I think in the original Greek, that was the name of those streets down there. And why is it God's called us to do that? Why is it that many of you drive past churches in the suburbs where we live to come to the church. What is it? What in your heart caused you 
to be called to Pomona First Baptist. I believe it was the Holy Spirit saying, for such a time as this, something within you echoed through 2,000 years of church history. Something within the DNA of the early church was in your heart. And so many of you drive past uh, so many churches where you live and call to the corner of Holton Gary. And many of you live here in Pomona as well as attend church here. But all of you attend church here and many of you drive past other churches you could be a part of. And this is because from the very beginning there's been this echo in our hearts. Serve those in the city. Stand there for them and the world will notice and will be drawn to the Christ that we follow. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now let me tell you how this goes down. I'm telling you, I've been so amazed. Let me give you a couple of snapshots. A week ago, yesterday, last Saturday, I just drive into the South parking lot, just that little part of our campus on just this little morning, you know, part of our calendar. And in this direction is a bunch of people learning how to share Jesus with their Muslim friends. And over here is just a bunch of people with the 40 Days of Life campaign, doing a march for life. And then over here is a bunch of guys and gals uh, fixing and for free doing the maintenance on the single women's cars of, of, our, of our church family. And just in one little snapshot, in one little part of our campus, who knows what was going on the rest of the week? Who knows what was going on the other parts of the campus? Yesterday I drive in. South Campus filled with women for women of faith. Over in the B building, uh, you've got this uh, training for Latino leaders in the church from the Navigators, a discipleship leadership training program. And this goes on 20, almost 24-7 on our campus. This campus is being used to minister to people every day, almost every hour of every day. And that's because God has used you to be faithful. The only reason we're talking about the future is because of your faithfulness in the past and in the present. Let me just give you one snapshot for the tens of thousands, if over 143 years, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that have been ministered to in this way. Let me just give you a snapshot of just one of them. Uh, recently, uh, a middle-aged mother walked into my office, and I wasn't there, so she talked to my assistant, uh, Bev Mowdy, and she said, I, I just want to tell you a story. She said, when, my little, when I was a single mom, and I had this little boy, and, and my little boy didn't have a bed. So I came here to your furniture ministry, and my little boy got a bed for the first time from your furniture ministry. And we didn't have enough clothing, so I went to your clothing ministry. My little boy and I got clothed by your church. And then we didn't have enough food, so my little boy and I went to uh, your food pantry, and we got food. And my little boy went to your Sunday school, and she handed Bev this article, this newspaper article, I thought, she said, I thought you'd be interested to know that that little boy just got assigned one of the eight astronaut positions for NASA for the next chapter of NASA. That's what God has done through your faithfulness. That little boy, now one of the elite eight of the next class of NASA astronauts, you gave him a bed. When he didn't have, that little boy didn't have a bed. You gave him clothing. You gave him food. You gave him teaching in Sunday school. And you multiply that story over thousands 
and thousands of times, and that's what we're called to do. You know, we take it for granted what God has done in and through our church. Because we live during a narrow window of, of history, very narrow, just the last couple of decades, two, three or four decades or so, of what's called the mega church movement of churches our size, and, and then also um, in this particular area of the country, Los Angeles, greater Southern California, where these churches uh, are more common than other places uh, in the country. And so we kind of take for granted what God's done in our church. But as a few months ago, we were studying Jonathan Edwards, maybe the most influential church in, in American history. Only 600 people were in that church. You think of Charles Spurgeon in London um, in the middle 1800s, late 1800s, about the time uh, our church was being formed. And this was considered the first mega church in history, his, um, his church there in downtown London that Charles Spurgeon preached at. But if you go back there today, you know, 143 years later, you go back and there's hardly any people there at all, just a handful, a few hundred at Spurgeon's church. I had a chance to visit it a few years back, and, and it's just a shadow of its former uh, self. Do you know that there are only 10 churches our size prior to 1970 in North America? And so we tend to take for granted what God has done in our church. When you combine the four factors you see there in your program, size and growth, but then you add in longevity, Okay, 143 years. There are many churches that are going great guns right now, but they're very young. And there are churches that were going great guns in the past, but now they have not continued that in longevity. And then you add in location, because any churches that are in those three categories, hardly any of them are in urban. They're always in fast-growing suburban areas. That's, that's where they tend to exist. And if they do happen to be there with both lo, um, location, growth, size, and longevity like us, they're almost always in the Bible Belt. Places like Texas, Georgia, Florida, places like this. this what God has done in our church over 143 years is one of the few in all of church history, I'm talking worldwide, in the last 2,000 years of church history, we get to be a part of that. Just these four factors alone point to the unique thing that God has done in church history through PFB over the last 143 years. And you've been called to be part of this for such a time as this. If you turn to page five, you'll see the, the pattern of our growth, and we give this to you on about a yearly basis. But I want, you to, I want you to look at the steps of, to keep this momentum going. How have we kept that doing? That's what I want to kind of look at over the last 20 years. You'll see that chart there. It's called life cycle stages. And this is the typical lifestyle stage that organizations, churches, and movements uh, go through. There's a startup. They go through a time of growth. They hit maturity. And then they decline. You know, up and then down. That's just like very common. You have, for example, the YMCA. Wonderful organization, but it used to be an on-fire Christian organization. Hardly Christian at all today. Um, great organization, it's just lost its Christian calling that it had on it. It went through startup, growth, maturity, and now the Christian part of it has declined. You look at a university like Harvard. Wonderful university, you know, for education, and yet it was started as a Bible school to train pastors. And so the Christian part of Harvard had a startup growth, maturity, and then that part declined. Denominations go through this. Churches go through this. Countries go through this. Our physical bodies go through this. Uh, anybody want to say amen to that? Okay. At 830, they're like, yes, yeah, man. You know, um, our, our bodies start up, they grow, they mature, 
and then they decline. Now, here's the key. How, how has our church been able to keep this going for 143 years? What you have to do is right when you get to that maturity part, just before you tip over and begin to decline, you have to do something to break through and have renewal and continue the momentum. So instead of this, we want our church to continue to do this. That's what God has called us to do, and this church over 143 years has been uniquely able to do. Now, it involves four S's. The first is one way you can break through uh, when you just begin to tip, you hit the tipping point, you start to go into decline, uh, you can add a worship service. So services is the first S, or now a satellite that includes a worship service. Or you can add staff or leadership that help you to break through. Or space, you either add space, parking spaces, um, Bible study and small group spaces, life group spaces, um, or you can enhance existing space. You can take existing space and make it more, uh, you can enhance it, make it more attractive or make it more effective. Now let's just do a, a quick history lesson over 20 years of the steps we've taken as a church to keep our momentum going. In 1993, we added a second Sunday worship service, and there you'll see a uh, younger version of Pastor Jay uh, leading that service, um, although I'm not one that should talk, okay? 94 to 98 were key leadership additions, people like Chris Brown, and boy, I had uh, just the time of my life, um, uh, one of the great moments of my life. I'm sitting there at a conference, a leadership conference down in Downey on Friday, and I'm sitting there, and on one side of me is Eric Holmstrom, our new high school pastor, and the other side of me is Andy Shoemaker, who's our junior high pastor. And I heard one of the best sermons, if not the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. It was a one-hour sermon. The first half hour was Brian Holland. The second half hour was Chris Brown. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I, you know, I... I, I it was just, it was just, you guys would have been so proud. It was just incredible. I'm going to have to get you a CD of it, although the visual was about half of it as well. Just, just amazing. Do you know that Chris Brown, just to brag on him a little bit, Leadership Summit is considered the greatest, biggest leadership event, Christian or non-Christian, secular otherwise, in the world. It goes all around the world, um, even though it comes out of Chicago. Only three people this year got standing ovations at Leadership Summit. Andy Stanley, um, General Colin Powell and Chris Brown. Those are the only three that got standing ovation. So Chris Brown. Um, I know, it was very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, next one up, Dale Torrey. We hired him when he was 10 years old. That's the part that's just like amazing. No, no. He was actually 19. And I told him, could you keep that secret till you turn 20? It just sounds so, you know. But anyway, there's Dale at 19. We hired him. Ruth Carroll. Many of you remember dear Ruth, our children's pastor. Um, uh, she, is, she is with Jesus now. She's with the Lord. But what an impact uh, that she made. 1999, built the North parking lot. Year 2000. Uh, paid off the worship center. Um, uh, in 1987, this was built, and uh, some, mainly at 8.30, not as many at this service, and the later one, of course, remember marching from the old sanctuary to this one in 1987. And 13 years later, we completely paid that off in 2000. Now, this is an important thing, because whenever you're about to ask for giving to some new project, you always ask the question, natural question is, how are you doing with what you already have before, you know, God asks that same question of us. How are you doing with what you've already have before I give you more? And this, you should ask the same thing of, of your church. And so many people have said, wait, we're going to do a debt 
elimination or reduction campaign, hey, didn't we pay off all of our debt in the year 2000? Well, we paid off the debt on this worship center. That's what got paid off. But we've continued to have property debt. We had about a million dollars from the properties on the north side that we built the north parking lot over. Uh, We had about a million when the Northridge quake broke the center beam of the old sanctuary, and we had to tear that down, put the commons in there. That that took about a million dollars. And then we had a defensive move when the restaurant and parking lot um, came uh, available over here. And by the way, another thing you could put into the unique churches in America, when we bought that, it was a Muslim restaurant. And so we're probably the only Baptist church in a in history that's owned a Muslim restaurant. I'm just telling you, that was a highly unusual. But anyway, we did that defensively to hold on to the parking back there, okay? And so that's where you get that um, $2.8 million in debt or two point nine that that we have because of that. Not a dime of it is from overspending. It's totally like what you owe on your house, not what you owe on your credit cards, okay? Not a penny of it is from overspending. It's all from property acquisition through the years that we needed to do in order to continue our growth. And yet that has been a burden to us with regard to being as effective as we can be with regard to ministry. 2001 to 2005, key leadership additions, Lisa Tony, Pete Wilson, Shamram Barron, Lois Sherwin, and Brian Holland. 2006, added the third Sunday worship service. 2007, built out the back of the worship center with Vision 2020. 2008, purchased the restaurant and the parking. 2009 through 2012, key leadership additions and also our satellite campuses, places like Purpose Church, Claremont. Um, also, you can see that picture up there. There's Purpose Church in Claremont. Also, Purpose Church, the hangar in Montana. We've got that picture up there. And also, uh, Mercy Road in Indianapolis. Just saw Josh Hoosman and Lisa and their kids uh, just this past week at this conference uh, that I was at. Now, let me mention another thing. Because some you know, there might be a question in your mind, well, man, is the reason we kind of want to get this debt off of us is because we've expanded too quickly. Are we being too aggressive in our expansion campaign? Well, I just want you to know, each one of these three satellites have paid for themselves within six to 12 months. The investment we've put in, uh, the amount of giving that's there covers what the expense of it is to us. And so that instantly, almost instantly within a year, um, began to cover itself uh, with regard to what we put into it. So it is no longer in any way, that investment has just been like immediate with regard to spiritual investment that we have put into that. Also, the other question, here's where I really shot myself in the foot. Um, because I love, if you look on page two in your program, okay, uh, and it's there every Sunday. It's not anything different, but it's there every Sunday. I love to put the pictures of leadership in the program. So then you're saying, I'm interested in such and such. I will talk to this person. But here's the unintended consequence for me doing that, is it gave the appearance that Every time we turned around, we were adding full-time staff. They're like, no wonder they need a debt campaign. They're spending like drunken sailors, my goodness. Well, I want you to know that almost half the people on that page are either um, volunteer or part-time, in some cases, very, very part-time. So just because they're on there doesn't mean that we're adding a a, a full-time staff. As a matter of fact, you Dave Ramsey people here, you're saying, what are you doing to existing tighten things up before you you know, go after that debt. And I want you to know, Peter Torrey, our executive pastor, has been amazing. Even though our, our giving is up, you know, significantly for this year, and, and even though expenses go up, I mean, the health care costs and insurance and utilities, these things go up and up. Despite all that wind at his face, 
He has uh, held our feet to the fire with regard to the budget and with all the pastoral staff and the other staff. And we are on target to spend our expenses to actually be $200,000 less in 2013 than they were in 2012. So could we thank Peter Torrey for that? He has just done a magnificent job in that. Now, before we talk about what we're going to do now to break through and continue momentum, I just want to say a word to you. I, I, when we talk about key leadership additions, the examples I've used have been pastors. That, that's what I've used. But put your name in there. Right now, look on that list and... and if you came within the last 20 years, write your name in there. Or if you came to here, God called you here more than 20 years ago, write that date in there. Put your name next to it and write down key leadership addition. Because it's been your, God called you here for such a time as this. God called you here at this moment, at this time, and at this place, he called you. And it's because of your faithfulness in the past and continuing into the present, which enables us to even talk about what steps we can take to continue our momentum into the future. And so now about every seven years, these momentum steps uh, are connected with a financial campaign. I came in 1993. We had our first campaign in 2000. We had another one in 2007. And now as we come close to 2014, 13, 14, 15. This is over a three-year period. It's over three tax years. It's spread over a, a three-year period. Um, seven years later, 2014, um, here we are um, with another financial campaign as well. Uh, if you turn to page six, here's going to be the nature of it. The first and biggest part of it is reducing debt or eliminating debt. And people will tell you, oh, that's, a, that's not a, a motivational campaign. I mean, nobody gets excited about that. But here's why I think we can be excited about that. Here's why I think it's perfect timing. Are we talking about dealing with debt in our nation right now? It's part of the national conversation. Are we talking about dealing with debt in our state? It's part of the statewide conversation. Are we talking about it in our municipalities and our localities um, when cities like San Bernardino and Stockton and Detroit go bankrupt. We're talking about it locally because seven or 800 of you moving towards a thousand of you have gone through the Dave Ramsey course. Um, how many of you are talking about debt elimination in your families right now? Okay. We're talking about it in our families. So isn't it a good idea to talk about it within our church family? How much more effective could we be if we could reduce this debt or even completely eliminate it? If we could eliminate it, we'd have $219,000 more every year to do ministry. Now, that doesn't sound like all that much, but if you extrapolate it over 25 years, it's mi the, million, you know, the life of the loan, it's millions and millions of dollars that could be spent on, on, on ministry. Um, it also makes it exciting when you give. Because with regard to a debt campaign, if you give $100, it's like the equivalent of giving $175. Kimberly and I, as we were praying about it, and we realized that if we gave $10,000, that's the equivalent of giving $17,000. And then when Kimberly and I realized that we could do this giving over three years, we actually doubled what we were going to give because we realized, well, we could do more over three years than we could in any individual year. Well, if somebody gave, say, $57,000 over three years, that would be the equivalent of giving $100,000. That's the impact that it would have. This campaign is $3.9 million, but it has the impact of a $6 million campaign. 
So that's why I think the debt reduction or elimination part of it is extremely exciting. Whatever you're into, I mean, the problem with campaigns is you pick two or three areas of the church, and those that are in those areas are very excited, but those that are not, they'll do it because of loyalty to the church and because they love the body of Christ, but they're not as excited. The beauty of of debt reduction or elimination is that all the boats rise together. Whatever you're into, we can do more of that if we have this debt off of our backs or reduce it significantly. And then turning to page seven, refresh campus exteriors. And let me make a confession to you that this, is, this has really been in, in my blind spot. I have to admit, I love going after great leaders. That, Kimberly will tell you, this is what I live for. And, and my goodness, have we attracted a group of them. I was so proud this weekend for Transformation Ministries. Like, it seemed like every other spot, every other seminar, every other speaking spot was filled by one of the staff members from our church. I mean, just like, it was amazing, whether it was youth or whether it was, you know, preaching or, or whether it was leadership or whether it was uh, human trafficking or, 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 or whatever it might be. It was just like our staff, Otech with Pete Wilson, big tech seminar. And, 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 and the reason is, is, okay, I'm very arrogant on this, but we just, excluding the senior pastor, have the best pastoral staff in Southern California. These people are creme de creme. So what I really um, am passionate about is I, I just had this thinking that if you get great leaders who run great programs, it doesn't matter what the outside of the building looks like. Who cares? It doesn't matter as long as what's going on in the inside is good. It doesn't matter. And then Cheryl Gardner, the wife of Pastor Randy, who was just up here doing announcements, we have our first meeting, and it's going to be exclusively a debt reduction campaign. And I just want you to know, Cheryl hurt my feelings. Uh, She says, you know, Randy and I were here 20 years ago. He was the high school pastor, and I saw this campus 20 years ago, and now we come as the senior adult pastor. He goes, Glenn, it looks exactly the same way it did 20 years ago. It just looks the same. And it hurt my feelings because I was like, no, it's completely different. I mean, 20 years ago, this was a, a dying on the verge of bankruptcy inner city church. They were about to turn this sanctuary over to the, be a civic center for the city of Pomona. And now it's a thriving Southern California mega church. Everything's different. She goes, it doesn't look like it to the outside community. Parts of it, not the nice part that we're in right now, but parts of it don't look like we are that enthusiastic about Jesus. And it hurt my feelings. But that's why we're including part of this in this campaign. Another part I was blind to is the children's. A big part of this is in the children's area. And here's the one. Some unnamed child hurt my feelings on this one. I don't even know who they are. But you know the most effective form of evangelism for you parents is you invite one of your children's friends over on Saturday night, and then you bring them to church with you on Sunday morning. That's one of the most effective evangelism tools. Invite your kids' friends over on Saturday night, bring them to church with you on Sunday morning. The kids get into the program, and then later the family wants to follow. But our kids were bringing their friends, and their friends were making fun of particularly our restroom facilities in the F building. They referred to that restroom um, as a Barstow truck stop restroom. (laughs) The 12-year-old boys were calling it a Barstow truck stop bathroom. And here's the bad part. They didn't want to come back. And now as soon as, soon as it's starting to affect Oikos, now it's got our attention, doesn't it? 
As soon, I mean, it's one thing for us as Christians, you know, who cares? We'll worship Jesus in a cardboard box. But as soon as it's hindering us reaching our oikos, it's what they call in business the old yellow chair in the lobby parable. Where you got this old yellow chair in the lobby, and it's invisible to us. But when somebody comes to visit that business, they sit in the old yellow chair in the lobby, and they think, well, this must not be much of a place if they keep the old yellow chair in the lobby. We're blind to it, but the outside people we're trying to reach are not blind to it. I'm going to ask uh, John Burroughs to come up right now. And here's the exciting part where you could just see God's fingerprints on this thing. Is right after we made this decision to add the campus enhancement to it, if you look at the newspaper article on the bottom of page 7, I open up the newspaper like a few days later, and there it says that Pomona, leadership of Pomona, has now determined that one of the gateways to the cities is Holt and Gary, and they need to support enhancement of that corridor on those two cities. At the same time God lays this on our heart, we have gained tremendous favor with the city because it dovetails with what they want to do. God has got this fingerprints all over it. Now, John Burroughs, we know him as our choir director and our orchestra director, but he's also president of a major Southern California construction company. And John has been helping us tremendously in this, and we pay him exactly what we pay him to be choir director and orchestra director. Zero. So, John, I want you to know, we're going to pay you double for what you're doing on this, <laughs> for what you're doing with the choir. All in favor, say yeah. Thank you, Glenn. You know, in, in life, you only have one chance to make a first impression. And if you put yourself in the shoes of a first-time visitor coming to our campus, uh, the first impression of our campus is really not very good, as Glenn was mentioning. If you're arriving on Gary Avenue driving south, that's the first thing you see when you uh, arrive at our campus. Now, the worship center, once you get there, this is great. Everybody loves this. But uh, the other first impressions of our campus are not so good. When you're arriving over on Holt, uh, you see the H building is one of the first things that you see. That's our beautiful campus right there. PFB, you've arrived. And uh, so it's a difficult for that first impression for us to make. Um, the appearance of our buildings is not consistent. It's not fresh across the campus, and it's generally outdated as well. Some buildings are brick. Some have a stucco finish. Some have a concrete tile finish. Some are stucco. Uh, it became very apparent to me uh, over two experiences in the last several years. Recently, I did some work at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, and uh, I noticed that their campus had a very uh, unified, consistent appearance. It was very inviting. Now, of course, that campus is fairly new as well. I get that, and that's part of what you know helps give that appearance. But really, what you're seeing here is, you know, use of some vertical and horizontal score lines, uh, a really nice paint uh, theme that's consistent across their campus, some cornice treatment at the top of the building, and it makes it look like a really a pretty nice building. It's very inviting at the campus. The other experience was at Magnolia Avenue Baptist in Riverside. Connie and I attended MAG in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, at that time, their campus had a lot of similarities to Pomona First Baptist. It was not a very inviting place. They had pretty outdated uh, buildings at that time. Then we moved back here in 1995. And uh, when I was visiting the campus at one time, I noticed they had gone through a renovation of their campus and had basically done a facelift that gave them a new, fresh, unified look across their campus. They had applied stucco to some of their buildings. They'd redone their painting. They'd applied some architectural cornice treatments. And it really 
looked nice. It was now a unified, great-looking campus that, you know, looked like it was in the 21st century here. So uh, it was really a neat thing, and it was very inviting for those people at, the, at, at that church. The concept that the Momentum Committee has discussed is to apply a refresh concept uh, to most of our buildings here on campus to create this, this consistent, inviting look to our campus uh, here, here at PFB. And this can be accomplished by refacing our buildings with uh, stucco, applying an architectural cornice uh, and trim, enhancing the landscaping, and painting our buildings with a consistent uh, theme that would complement the worship center here that is really our, our best building. You know, but then as I thought about refreshing our buildings, the other thing I thought about uh, refreshing the appearance, it was my opinion that we would really need to also uh, uh, replace the, uh, the existing windows in these buildings with new windows for kind of a new appearance. Uh, to be consistent with the worship center, that would mean uh, 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 these bronze aluminum storefront windows with insulated tinted glass like you see in this photo here. Uh, and this would also give us a side benefit with the insulated windows, of course, of replacing our old leaking windows with some energy efficient windows and, and help with our cooling bills. But you can imagine if we applied that type of a picture of a window uh, to all of our buildings across campus, as opposed to the ones that have many, many years of caked on paint on the windows, uh, that this would be another way to transform the look of our buildings and give us a really fresh look across, uh, across the campus. Several years ago, uh, when the old sanctuary was demolished that Glenn was referring to due to earthquake damage, uh, we actually applied this refresh strategy that I've been talking to, uh, talking about here to the south wall of the F building. And it looks really great. This is the south wall that faces the commons. I'm, I'm, most of you have probably seen that. And so I wanna, I, I'm glad to say we have one great-looking wall on campus, and that is it. And it is just fantastic. But you can also imagine, though, with the way that looks, with the, with the, with the treatments of, from the stucco and the various paint treatments, even if that look were applied across our campus on a uniform basis, that would give us a really refreshed, uh, great-looking uh, uh, campus. Uh, and then also because we're not demolishing our buildings and starting over, but instead just doing a bit of a facelift, uh, this would uh, be an economical strategy for us to, uh, to give us this refreshed appearance across the campus. Of course, a picture is worth a thousand words, so uh, your momentum committee uh, had a rendering prepared of what one of the buildings would look like if we applied this refresh strategy uh, to, the, uh, uh, to, to that building. We chose the H building since most of us are somewhat familiar with this building. Uh, here's a photo of the existing H building as it sits today. All of you are familiar with that. All of you have been in classes there, and you can see how it looks today. And then the rendering is kind of a concept that you'll see now is what it could look if we were to apply this kind of idea of refreshing and facelifting at, at one of our buildings here on campus, the, the, uh, the H building with a facelift concept. And then you look at that and say, well, that's, that's pretty cool. It's got the cornice trim and, and architectural treatment and score lines. Not really all that expensive to accomplish, but gives it a dramatically different look and updates the look of the building uh, that would be an inviting look on our campus. If you can now envision, if you were to apply that same concept to not only the H building, but if you apply it to the B building where our high school is located that needs quite a bit of help. If you apply it to the E building, the three-story building on the south side of our campus. If you were to apply it to the F building the, where the children's ministries are located, the gymnasium. And if you apply it to the G building, the single-story building, on the east side of the, of the F building there. Our campus would be truly refreshed and we'd have a consistent appearance that would be updated and inviting to those who, who, who come on our campus. 
You know, now another element of refreshing involves some of our restrooms on campus. Uh, this has already completed, uh, been completed at the restrooms in, in E202 that you see there that have been transformed from outdated, dingy restrooms to really attractive, bright new restrooms. And I have to tell you, Connie was mentioning to me when we were talking about this that, uh, that she's done a lot of children's work, you know, over the years and, and in that room, what we used to call Old College Hall. And these were the bathrooms that served that area. And she told me that before this was done, she was actually scared to go in there. She didn't even want to go in those restrooms. It was just a scary place to be. And she would have, you know, ministering to little kids and helping them. And they needed to go to the restroom saying, hurry up, hurry up, come on back, hurry up. Because it was just not a great place to be. But now it's really an inviting place to be. They're really updated. Our staff's done a fantastic job on bringing those up to date. Uh, and as Glenn mentioned now, we need to apply the same concept to, like, for example, the restrooms at the north end of the F building, uh, that the, the Barstow truck stop designation, I guess. Uh, but these are in quite a bit of need of, of, of help also. And so part of this campaign is to refresh and renew that part of our campus as well uh, with the help of some restrooms that we can be proud of and that will be inviting to people who come to campus. Um, another element of refreshing involves, um, uh, or, I'm sorry, let me shift to the renewal part. Shifting to our renewal emphasis, one element that is currently missing on campus is a place for us to gather in between or after services, um, a place where we can experience community. Most of us know that the lobby of this building uh, doesn't really work that well as a gathering place between services. First of all, there's a tremendous number of people trying to get out and tremendous number of people trying to get in. And then there's not much time between the services either. And so it's kind of a log jam there and it's difficult. We tried to accomplish this out by the fountain, as many of you know, to make that kind of the gathering area. The problem with that has been it's not really on the way to anything else on campus. It's just kind of out there by itself. It's not on the way to the children's. It's not on the way to adult ministry. It's just out there. So um, one of the ideas has been uh, to address this need. We'd like to renovate the area on the south side of our worship center. We'd like to lose the picnic tables that are currently at the southwest portion of this space and then reconfigure the play area with updated play equipment and landscaping on the west side of this area. Uh, you may recall we actually have some funds available for updated play equipment uh, from some previous offerings that will be applied to this in order to help us get this uh, taken care of. Uh, we would then create a shaded community terrace area uh, with new landscape. You'll see a picture of existing and then kind of the new of what it could look like there. With new landscape and hardscape on the south and east side of the space to provide a much-needed gathering area. This area is on the way to other parts of our campus. It's on the way to children's ministry. It's on the way to adult ministries. It's a place that we can gather between services and not hinder people coming into the worship service as we're transitioning between services. Uh, and it really would work for that on Sunday mornings as well as other special events to create this kind of gathering area. Uh, when considering a renovation of our campus, as, as Glenn mentioned, we always also have to consider how our effort would be received by our city. It is perhaps not a coincidence that at this very same time that we were working on this, we learned about a new specific plan that was recently published by the city of, of Pomona that has identified the intersection of Gary and Holt as the gateway to downtown Pomona. As such, the city's uh, uh, targeting this part of our city for renewing and refreshing right in line with what uh, we feel like we need to be doing here on campus. It appears that our efforts that we've described could really help the city kick this off, and what we would be doing would be consistent with what their offer efforts are as well. So that's the vision of renewing and refreshing that I wanted to share with you this morning uh, that comes to you from your leadership and from the Momentum Campaign Committee. So Glenn, come share with us how each of us can participate in the Momentum Campaign. Let's thank John for his leadership in this. My goodness. Well, we, or I, 
as your pastor, would like to ask you to, to give to this, to pray about what God would have you to give to it. And it's, it seems large, you know, 3.9 million. And so I asked some of the leadership, um, would you give an initial gift in order to, or commitment, in order to help get our momentum going on this? You know, get, get us going on this. And so 70 of our leaders have committed just under $700,000 to this. So we are already a sixth or a fifth of the way, 15 or 20% on our way as these 70 leaders have committed uh, just under $700,000 to start our momentum on this campaign. Uh, you'll see the boxes there. If you look at the card that you have there in your program, could everybody take that out uh, with me now? And uh, you'll see there's a commitment to pray for it because God can use this as a, the, the different the parts of it are spiritual renewal that go along with um, the physical parts of the campaign. Whenever you have one of these, it can be a time of great unity for a church family, but it can be a time of spiritual warfare where Satan causes us to be disunified or we run into problems uh, with regard to the community. So let's be in prayer for it. Then I or we are making a financial pledge. Now remember, this is over three years, 2013, 14, and 15. And like I said, Kimberly and I, as we were praying over it, we realized we could do so much more over a three-year period than we could over a one-year period. Um, maybe you'd like to designate it. Uh, if you just give it without designation, it'll just be divided in the proportions that you see there in your program. But you know what? If you're just more excited, if you're a debt-reducing debt kind of person, if that gets you excited, do it all for that or a big portion of it for that. If you're a refresh the campus person, do that. God says he loves a cheerful giver, and he wants it to be fun for you. And so whichever of those, or if you want to break it down to the percentages you want to, do that as God lays it on your heart. And I know that God will work it out perfectly if each one of us pray about it and decide what we're going to do. There's an option there for if you want stocks or other types of giving to be a part of that. Kimberly and I, our initial gift was just some stocks that we had had around, sitting around for years that we were able to give to it. And it really helped us with the tax situation we had for this particular year. It gave us a benefit in that area for 2013. You know, another way to think of it is that this is a $3.9 million campaign, uh, but in a given year, we cumulatively together give about $5 million plus to the ministry of this church. If each of us could simply give over three years an additional amount, what we give in a year, that would more than meet this need. Um, because it's $3.9 million, but we give together $5 million a year. If we were to give you know, close to what we give in one year, an additional amount over three years, that would more uh, than, than meet this goal. And, you know, I, as I was praying about it this morning, I really prayed, Lord, help me not to make some emotional appeal that will get people to give more than they should, that will hurt them or their family. And, and I pray that for you as you pray about it. But then the Lord really laid on my heart, but Glenn, don't hold back, because so many times we take our money and we just kind of use it on things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Very temporary effect. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, don't be afraid to challenge people to invest for eternity. I mean, the stuff of this life is just stuff. And it, and it goes when we go. But this kind of investment is something that is an impact for eternity. So I ask you just to go before the Lord, to pray about it. If we all do this, I know God will do his will through it. 
um, maybe pray about it and bring it back next Sunday or um, in the next Sunday that you're back here in the next week or two, or you can mail it into the church or just put it in the giving box or the, uh, the offering as it comes. Uh, but just let's all pray about this and let's see what God leads us to do. And as we each do what God tells us to do individually, then God will meet this need within the overall church. I'd like to have Cheryl Gardner come up. She's the chairman of our campaign. And just like we're paying... John Burroughs, zero, and Andy Thompson, who's done a lot of our architectural work, zero. And, well, you know, the, the dilemma you get into as a church on this is if you hire a fundraising company from the outside, you really raise a great deal more. Uh, but who likes to pay 10% of what you give toward that? That just grinds you. Well, we get to have our cake and eat it, too, because Cheryl, along with Peter Torrey, are two of the top fundraisers in the nation and they're working for exactly what John Burroughs is working. Zero. And if we succeed in it, we'll double the zero. Okay, so you get zero, and then if we raise it all, then we get double your... Would you thank Cheryl for, uh, for sharing with you? Thank you. And, and Glenn, I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to you for hurting your feelings. I know. Yeah, we do. I'm so sorry. I apologize. When I was asked to do this, I, and after I said yes and had prayed about it and said yes, one of the first things that I did is read the book of Nehemiah. And the, the book of Nehemiah is, a, as we know, is commonly referred to as a great um, resource for and a study on leadership. And, but it's also a tremendous resource for people that work with nonprofits because it has great examples of planning and preparation. And it also talks about gathering and organizing assets. And so in chapter 3 in particular, it ref- that's kind of known as the, um, the record of the builders. And the work there is, is mostly described as it relates to the rebuilding of the ten gates around the city wall. And historically, those city gates were critical entry and exit points to the city. And those were the places that most likely, if there was an enemy attack, it would happen at one of those gates. Um, Just as the city walls also served as the means of access and communication and interaction between the city and the outside world, the gates of the city controlled that access and that interaction. So if we take that same concept and parallel it and compare it to PFB, um, because of our 143-year history as, as really as an established gateway, as John had referred to, an established gateway here to the city of Pomona, to the surrounding community, and to this region, this is, um, it puts us in a place that we can ask that important question of what are the walls and the buildings of our campus communicating to our to the outside world, and that's that's really what this campaign is is also encompassing. So as we <laughs> as we as we take those examples and we apply that and and those principles, the process in Nehemiah I found very fascinating, and, and we can apply those same processes to this campaign as we go about it. The workers as they prepared to start working on the gates, the first thing that they did was they consecrated or dedicated the work. Then they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And then they made repairs. And 
when you when I think of the ancient city of uh, Jerusalem and I envision all those gates, I think of the massive gates, there's ornate gates, and there's smaller gates, and they all serve different purposes. But one thing they all had in common is they all had small hinges. And so just as you take those that principle and you compare that to PFB, the we can make small changes that will have a very huge impact. As John described, some of those things could be small changes, but they're going to be a big impact. And uh, part of that process of for us to lay our beams and put our doors and bolts and bars in place is the first thing we need to do is reduce that debt. Then we can start the process of refreshing our campus, and then we'll be renewing the momentum that started 143 years ago that is but has really accelerated in the last 20 years and all of that through that process we will continue to honor God through this and and be a really vital ministry that we we've continued we will continue to be a vital ministry right here on the corner of Holt and Gary so I'm going to ask Peter Torrey to come up now and explain um, the next steps of this campaign thank you Cheryl it's been about 34 years when uh, Dre and I and our boys first started coming uh, here to PFB, and our best years are still out in front. And uh, so we really look forward to that and what this campaign will do to launch us and to continue the momentum that's been going for these 143 years. Three things that we want to ask you to do. First, right after the service... Out, there's one over by the B building, there's one by the fountain, and there's one by, back by the red brick building in the uh, uh, play yard area. There are preview stations, and there's some really good food back there. It's not healthy, and there's Krispy Kreme donuts, and there are some cinnamon bites and lemon bites and kettle corn. Not healthy, but really good. And uh, so you go back, and, and there's a different food at different places, so you've got to go and visit all of them to really get your good morning meal in. And, um, and at those stations, there are some banners, so you can take a little closer look at some of the things that you've heard this morning. Uh, also, members of the uh, campaign committee will be there so they can answer questions as well. If you get lost on the back of your uh, program... There's a map so you can find them, find your way around. So we want you to go and visit uh, several of the stations. Um, we've got lots of food. The early 8.30 service wasn't real hungry. So there is lots of food there for you. So you go and, and enjoy, have some fellowship. Your Sunday school classes, if you go to a class afterwards, they know that you're going to take some time to do this and the class will be starting later and so forth, so you're fine with that. And we also have a gift out there for you. We want you to go to those preview stations and, and get to know a little bit more about the campaign. Second, as Pastor Glenn mentioned, take this card, take it home, pray about it, ask God what he wants you to do, bring it back uh, in the next uh, week or two, or put it in the mail, mail it back, put it in an offering box or in the offering plate uh, when you bring it back. And then finally, we want to encourage you, don't recycle this this morning. Uh, take it home and read through it. There's some really good information about the campaign that's within uh, the program. So we want to encourage you 
to take that home and to read through it and allow God to use that to challenge you and to speak to you about what he wants you to do in this campaign. Thank you all for being here, and thank you for what God will do through you in this campaign. Let's stand and, and close in prayer together. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. Over these last decades, you have been so faithful to this church, and we anticipate all that you want to do in the days ahead. We just ask now that as we go, you would speak to each one of us, help each one of us know what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to participate in this Momentum campaign. So go with us now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.